This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. My name's Dan, and for those of you who don't know me, I'm part of the staff team here at Seven. And today I'm going to be continuing our current series of talks, which is called Encounters with God, Stories from the Old Testament. We've been tracking through uh, parts of the Old Testament and listening to the stories of different individuals that we meet along the way. And if you open the webpage for today's service, either through the QR code or uh, at www.sevenvineyard.org today, then you will find a really nice timeline that Byrne has produced, which depicts the layout of the Old Testament and the journey that the story goes on. And you'll be able to see on there, if you open it up, the different characters that we've looked at so far. So I started the series talking about the story of Ruth. You'll be able to see on the timeline that that happens during the period of the judges. And then Rebecca Kishtani spoke about Hannah, which is just at the end of that period of the judges and just at the, the brink of the start of the, the kingdom. Then we went back in time with uh, Joanna to the story of Rahab. And that's during the, the period right at the end of the exodus and just before the conquest of the land. Last week, Jack spoke about Joshua, uh, which is, of course, the beginning of the conquest uh, following the Exodus. And today, I'm going back further. So for some reason, because we've given people choice who they speak about, but for some reason, we seem to kind of be going back in time. But we will be jumping around over coming weeks. Hopefully, that timeline's helpful, though, just to get that picture in your mind of where the story is going over time. And I'm going to be speaking about Joseph, uh, and this story takes place at the end of the period of the patriarchs. So the three great patriarchs were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph is one of Jacob's sons, as you'll see. And this is just a few generations before the period of the Exodus. Now, I chose this story for several reasons. First of all, my childhood memories are filled with the sounds of the musical. My dad used to be obsessed at listening to this, and uh, I can't read this story or think about it without my brain going into some of the songs. Despite the rumors of the e-bulletin, however, I will not be performing a full sung performance. I have asked Byrne if he could just put Jason Donovan up in the uh, online version of the service. I've worn black as a reminder to myself. There is no Technicolor dream coat. But if I do occasionally slip into song, you will join me, won't you? <laughs> Secondly, I chose this story because it is an incredible story. I mean, an absolute cracker. You may be very familiar with it. Uh, because of the story of the musical. But just put that aside for a moment and just engage as we listen to the story with what an unbelievable story this is, full of drama and twists and struggle and redemption. Uh, Joseph is also, I think, one of the only positive role models that we find in the Bible, particularly among the men. I mean, most of them have this great character flaw that God uses them in spite of, but with Joseph, there isn't really an obvious one. He is someone that we can look at and hold up, I think, as someone that we can really learn from and a man of great character. And then the third reason I chose it is because of uh, today being Refugee Sunday, um, uh, which we've mentioned during the interview at the end of Refugee Week across this country, and an opportunity to just reflect on those who are living in exile in this country, effectively. And while Joseph was not technically a refugee, 
Uh, he didn't flee his country because of war or persecution. Really, his story is one of human trafficking and being sold into slavery. But nevertheless, he knew what it was like to live in exile, away from his homeland, to be alone, to be up against a system in a way that I think many refugees and asylum seekers, even, even in our own city, could relate to. And this theme of exile, of being a foreigner, of being in a distant land, of being alone and feeling abandoned, is one that is repeated multiple times through that timeline of the Old Testament. If you go right back to the beginning, Adam and Eve remember the way that they were sent into exile from the Garden of Eden. Uh, after Joseph, there's the story of the exile in Egypt for generations of Hebrews. And then later, the Jews also go into exile in Babylon and in Persia. So it's a repeated theme, but each time we see that theme of exile, it's not permanent. There is eventually a return or a redemption of some kind in the story. And that is definitely true in the story that we'll look at today. It's a story of hope. And it's my prayer that as we just follow this story together today, it would speak hope into our situations, into our circumstances to life uh, that we're in, in today. So why don't we just pray as we dive into the story. Lord, we thank you that your word speaks to us, that it has life in it. And just as we read and listen to the story of Joseph today, would you be speaking to us for our lives today? We just open our ears to what you're whispering, to what you're saying to us today through Joseph. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, so um, if you have the Bible app uh, or a, a paper Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. The story of Joseph covers quite a number of chapters, so we're going to have to fly through it and just pick out some key moments. But I encourage you to open it up and follow along. That way you'll be able to kind of see where it's heading. You'll be able to check whether what I'm saying is true, and you'll be able to even fill some gaps in the bits that I'm kind of skipping over. In Genesis 37, we find Jacob, the last of those three great patriarchs, living with his 11 sons at that point, eventually, of course, to become 12. And the 11th, the youngest, is Joseph. And so we begin in verse 1. And for those of you who know the musical, your brain is already going to way, way back many centuries ago. Not long after the Bible began, Jacob lived in the land of Canaan. A fine example of a family man. Jacob! Jacob and sons. Thank you, thank you. I had, to, I had to make sure I sung slightly out of key because Facebook has this automatic thing where because of copyright reasons, if it's too closely matched, the live stream could be blocked. So sorry about that. Verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17. Pay attention, just a teenager was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Probably not a good idea, right? Nobody likes it when someone tells on them. Nobody likes it when a sibling goes to mom and dad. But that's what Joseph does. He brings a bad report. Verse 3, now Israel, which is another name for, jo for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. 
because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him, that multicolored coat. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, again, this is probably not a wise choice to tell them what he has dreamt. Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, well, his dad didn't like it much either. His father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. So it starts with this kind of maybe slightly impetuous or impulsive teenager uh, telling his family that he's got these visions of greatness, that he feels that these dreams are speaking greatness over him. And what happens next is, is that the story starts to get dark. So one day Joseph goes and visits his brothers who are away looking after their flocks, away from the family home. When they see him coming, they start chatting about killing him, plotting to kill him. One of the brothers, Reuben, is a bit unsure about this, so he suggests that they just throw him into a pit instead. And then while he's in the pit, they notice a group of Midianites, of traders uh, from modern-day Saudi Arabia, passing by. That's where Midian is. Judah uh, suggests that instead of killing him, why don't they sell him into slavery? Just make him disappear. And that's what they decide to do. But what will they tell their father who loved him, who's, you know, whose favorite son he was? Well, verse 31 of chapter 37. When they got Joseph's robe, oh, then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Just imagine the pain and the trauma of this dad in that moment. Then Jacob tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and he mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. This is a low point in the story. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So Joseph finds himself in Egypt, in a foreign land, sold into slavery. But he's, the slave, he's a slave in the house of a very powerful man named Potiphar. And Joseph is trustworthy, he works hard, he's successful, and he's given lots of responsibility in Potiphar's household. And as we keep going through the story, you'll notice that this becomes a pattern. It's repeated in at least three different contexts in Joseph's life, 
where he's trustworthy, he works hard, and he is lifted up. He is ex- ex- exalted to higher status and higher roles. Unfortunately for him, he also catches the eye of Potiphar's wife. She takes a bit of a shine to him and tries to seduce him. He resists, and then in her resentment, she lies, says that he has tried to rape her, and she has, sent, has him sent to jail. You know the song, letting out a mighty roar. Potiphar burst through the door. Thank you very much. I instructed my wife to lead the applause. I noticed none of my kids are in the room today. They fled. Oh, Jazz is here. Sorry, Jazz. Keep going. Genesis 39. Because even in jail, God has not abandoned him. And I love that we sang the song earlier uh, that Tom was leading, that, that we are not alone. While Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. That, that phrase just made me wonder what that involved. God showing Joseph kindness in that awful frightful place that he was in. But the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So again, trustworthy, successful, given responsibility over others. A little while later, he's in jail with two of Pharaoh's top servants. Uh, his cupbearer, who was in charge of all the wine, and his chief baker, who was in charge, I guess, of all the muffins and pastries. They have some dreams, um, and Joseph, with God's help, interprets those dreams. So to one, the cupbearer, Joseph says that God is going to lift him up. But to the baker, he says that unfortunately he is heading towards his death. And then he makes an agreement with them that if these dreams come true, they must tell Pharaoh about him and ask for Joseph to be released. Well, the dreams do come to pass. And the one that survives, the cupbearer, unfortunately forgets his promise to Joseph. And Joseph is left once again to languish in jail. Alone in a foreign land, separated from home, his family, his father's love, his wealth, his dreams. Perhaps an all-time low in the story of Joseph. I think it's just worth us pausing the story at this point to think again about some of the folks that Ellie and Karen were sharing about in the interview, people who've had to flee their homelands because of war or persecution and are now effectively living in exile in Bristol. I don't know if you've ever thought of them in that way, people living in exile, But that's exactly what they're doing. They are unable to return to their homeland for different reasons. But, you know, for the Afghan men that I've been talking to and getting to know, they want to be back in Afghanistan. That's their deepest wish. They're here. They're trying to rebuild their lives. They're trying to give a future to their kids. But what they want is to be back home. And that would be true, I think, for... The Ukraine 
uh, Ukrainian families, for asylum seekers who are risking their lives to come across the channel in small boats. They're here because they have to be. An asylum seeker, by definition, is someone who is asking for safety. But all of this is taking place in a very difficult context, a very ugly context, where our government is talking about deporting people to Rwanda, talking even about tagging some asylum seekers, and a government that seems determined to label some as worthy of refuge and others as not, to confuse people about who is a refugee and who is an economic migrant. But I think as followers of Jesus, we should, we should be constantly asking ourselves, how do we respond to that biblical mandate to care for the foreigner living among us? That's a command that we see all through the Old Testament, even more often than the one to love our neighbor. How do we respond to Paul's plea that we never forget the poor, or to the Bible's invitation to show radical hospitality? And I think sometimes the big issues, the big questions about policies and borders and systems can seem too big. I know that for me they often do, which is why it's wonderful that some of you are starting where you're at, to have a cup of tea with someone who's just arrived from Ukraine, or to volunteer uh, as a befriender or with many, you know, one of the many great organizations in our city. A great place to start is with listening. Because as you get to know people, you come to see them as people. And not just numbers, or not just a label like refugee, or asylum seeker, or migrant. You realize that they too have dreams and ambitions just like you, that they have lots to offer society, and that they're not just people uh, in need of help. So we're trying to get better with our team at Bridges at listening. We're privileged to have staff from Syria, Sudan, Yemen, and Afghanistan. And we're trying to practice as a team, actually listening and having opening, open conversations uh, where we can talk about one another's stories, all of our stories, um, but also discuss the work that we're doing, what we're trying to achieve, and realizing that some of these labels are just so unhelpful, so problematic. You know, one of our team was granted British citizenship this week after many years of waiting and, and struggling. And so there was a, a small celebration, uh, but she's still asking questions and talking openly with our team about what that means, about how that feels for her, about whether this country will ever feel like home when she clearly still loves the country that she was born in. So living in exile is painful, but that's what many in our city are doing. And I wonder if we can have a role at making people's time in exile a little easier, even, even at helping exile to instead become a place where they belong, where they fully belong, and where they can thrive in the way that God intends for them. Fortunately for Joseph, his time in exile does not end in that jail. Let's jump back into our story in chapter 41, because God has some amazing things in store for Joseph, just as I believe he does for many of those who are living in, in Bristol. First, though, he has to get out of prison. When two full years had passed, two full years in that jail, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, 
and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He falls asleep again. He has a very similar dream, but this time instead of cows that are fat and thin, it's heads of grain that are healthy and thin. Verse 8. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer, remember him, said to Pharaoh, Oh, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. I've messed up. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants. He imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dreams. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So... Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Listen to what Joseph says. I cannot do it, he replies to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Joseph speaks with faith and gives God credit for what is about to happen, despite what he's been through, despite that he's been in a jail for two years, his faith in God is still intact. So, Pharaoh goes on to tell Joseph his two dreams. I think you all know the song. I was walking along by the banks of the river when seven fat cows came out of the Nile. Yes, thank you so much. I was really hoping that would happen. (laughs) Joseph hears his dream and he gives this interpretation. There are going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And Joseph gives Pharaoh, with God's help, a plan to rescue the people from this predicament. He is to store up food for seven years and then ration it and sell it to the people in the following seven years. Well, Pharaoh is so impressed that he puts Joseph in charge of delivering this plan. He exalts him to the position of ruler over all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. He even gives Joseph his daughter to marry. And Joseph executes this plan of storing food for seven years and then selling it for the following. Now, there's a lot of the story still to go and not a lot of time. So perhaps I'll just paraphrase briefly what happens next. The years of famine don't just affect Egypt. They affect Joseph's family back in Canaan. And his brothers come to Egypt to buy food. Uh, But they leave the youngest brother, Benjamin, back home with dad, with Jacob, because he can't afford to risk his favorite son a second time. When they come before Joseph, they don't recognize him. I guess he probably looks like he's Egyptian now, and the the boy has become a man. And he chooses not to reveal his identity to them. And he enters into a kind of game with his brothers to test them, to see if their characters have changed. So he sends them back to Jacob with some food, 
but he places silver in their bags um, so that they will become afraid of him and they think that they will be accused of theft. And one of the things he said to them is, if you come back, or you will only come back if you bring Benjamin with you. But, of course, Jacob is against this. He refuses to send his youngest son. And some time goes by. Eventually, things get so desperate that they have to come back with Benjamin. And Judah, who's the one, if you remember, that suggested selling Joseph into slavery, he has this pivotal moment in chapter 43 where he puts his life on the line and says, I will bring Benjamin back to you, Dad, whatever it takes. Nothing will stop it. Now, um, they go and face Joseph again. He tricks them a second time, and he places his special cup in Benjamin's sack. And then when they're caught, Joseph says that Benjamin must stay in Egypt, but the others can return. And Judah, of course, who has made this promise, sworn this oath to his father that he will bring Benjamin back safely. He begs, he grovels, he offers himself in place of Benjamin. And it's at this point that Joseph decides to finally let them know who he is, chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard him too. Can you just imagine having been through what he'd been through to have this moment of saying to them, it's me. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Joseph, Joseph, is it really you? You know that bit. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. He describes what's been going on in Egypt. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God, in verse 8. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. And to cut the story short, the brothers go back, tell Jacob, and there is this incredible climax to the story where Jacob comes to Egypt. And Joseph goes to meet him in the chariot of gold. And things go well. Uh, Joseph gives land to his brothers. They build their lives in Egypt. Um, And Jacob dies there, chapter 49, verse 33. He draws up his feet into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. But one of his instructions has been that his body should be taken back to Canaan. So his brief exile in Egypt comes to an end, and he's returned to Canaan. Joseph uh, sees out his life in Egypt, and it's an absolutely remarkable life with a happy ending. But of course, the story doesn't end there. The big story continues. This happy ending is just temporary. It's just the end of one chapter in that big story of redemption. Because this Egypt escapade is leading to another time of exile for a whole people. 
which in turn will lead to another defining moment in the story, the Exodus. For more on that, come back in a few weeks when Jess from Bristol Vineyard will be speaking about Moses. And so, just to finish quickly, we need to ask two questions. The first one is, what's this got to do with Jesus? We've been asking that question through the series. How do people that we're looking at point towards or model or show us something of Jesus? And the second question is, what's it got to do with us? Well, the first one is easy. Like all of the other characters that we've seen, Joseph points forwards to Jesus in an amazing way. In fact, his life story has so much in common with Jesus's that it's very much a prototype or a motif of the life of the Messiah. He is a beloved son whose suffering enables a people to be rescued. He is a suffering servant, falsely accused, who forgives those who try to kill him. He is a leader who God raises up and who enables blessing to go out to all the nations. The similarities are just remarkable. And what does it mean for us today? Well, as I've reflected on this story this week, I've felt that there are several things that I think God may want to offer to us through this story today. Maybe different things to different ones of us, and I'll finish with these. I think for some of us here, God wants to give us the strength to keep going. In spite of difficulty and hardship, one of the standout characteristics of Joseph was his ability to endure suffering and still come out with his faith in God. He is like the epitome of that verse in Romans chapter 5, which says, we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And I think there may be some here today who are going through difficult times and for whom God just wants to give grace and strength to keep going. The second thing I felt was, for some, I think he wants to give us courage. Courage to speak up and to acknowledge the role that God plays in our lives. I thought it was remarkable the way that Joseph gave God credit for his gifts, even in front of the most powerful man in the world at that point. It would have been very easy to have left that out, I think. Uh, But he spoke up. And I wonder if that is a kind of courage that you want today and that God may be offering. The third thing is, I believe God wants to give some of us here hope. Hope that God can turn around the most terrible situations, can lift you up, can restore broken family relationships in the way that he did with Joseph's, can even use you to help others. Perhaps you feel in need of a a dose of hope again today. And finally, I felt that for some, there may be a call, a call to speak up on behalf of others. That cupbearer, although he was a little bit late to do so, He spoke up about Joseph's gift, about his ability to interpret dreams. And Pharaoh as well, once he had seen what Joseph was capable of, he chose to lift up Joseph to give him opportunity and power. And I felt that there may be some here who actually have a a calling in this area, a role in advocating on others' behalf. Maybe those of us who have much could have a role in creating opportunities for those who have less. 
So those were the four things that I felt God wants to offer us today through this story. Strength to keep going, courage to speak up, hope in difficult situations, and a call to speak up on behalf of others. Can I invite you to stand and we'll just finish in prayer. I'll invite Greg and Liz to come up and join me and maybe Joel or one or two of the musicians could come up as well. Um, Lord, I thank you for this story and the privilege of looking at it together in this brief time today. And I thank you that when we open your word, when we listen to you, Lord, it's not just for information. It's because you are at work in our hearts. So would you give us ears to hear what you're saying to to each of us, to me today? Lord, whether it's one of those four things or something different, would you be speaking, Lord?